報Hello, my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning. And I'm your better not in Billings host, Dixie Lee. The remote host, Dixie Lee Henning. <laughs> Babe, how's the Hi. other town that I'm not in? How is it? Yeah, is it good? Uh, well, there's cute babies here, so. Yeah, yeah, it has my nephew, so it is a little bit better than this town. I'm so it's jealous. You got to take be. a nap with him earlier, it looked like. The pictures were just, I, I mean, just swooned. he was napping. He was napping. Oh, you were just holding him. I was awake. Swooning. Yeah. Tell me about the swoon. What was that like? Um, well, <laughs> I I swooned. know what it's like, because our nephew is and the most perfect child ever. So, I get it. Fair. I get yep. it. I totally get it. Hey, babe, I was wondering if you would tell the people... Your impressions of the coffee we chose to be the No Normal People coffee blend coming soon to a website near uh, them. Yeah, sure. So, so people, do you like bean water? And if you do, do you like super smooth, tasty, delicious bean water? Mm, yes. And if that's the case, you'll like our smooth, delicious bean water. This is the way to do it. Do you have any... <laughs> so you're a former barista. Do you have any... Words. You're asking. Oh, <laughs> like um, actual sure. word, like cool. cupping notes, maybe that you can remember from our tasting. I remember uh, smoothness <laughs> and chocolatey and a little teensy, teensy bit citrusy and the smoothness. Okay, so I had an experience where the first sip I took, it felt like the very tip of my tongue was literally like shooting beams of light from behind my teeth into the world. Pretty accurate. It was so exciting. It was so vibrant. It tastes It tastes how the clouds in Aladdin look when they're singing a whole new world. Those are delicious looking clouds. I am I totally exactly. know what you're talking about. You get it. Yes. <laughs> now, is this the Aladdin with Will Smith or No. Well, I mean No. He, he looked pretty delicious. <laughs> Ew. He looked Gross. pretty good in that one, right? No, Stephen, Robin Williams all day, every day. Yeah, all right, that's fair. Well, Dixie, this week on No Normal People, we have our new friend, Courtney Clark. Yep. You, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you were not on the interview. Once again, a migraine had you just laid out flat for this one. But True story. I got to know Courtney. Uh, she introduced herself to me through my other podcast, Ravel, and... We got to talking and she don't veer credit and she, oh, <laughs> I will veer as much credit as I can to Ravel. But so she was the, one of the first people to sign up using our contact form on the website to be an interview on the show. Like we had no prior relationship with Courtney. We had, it was one of the first interviews I ever did where I went in knowing absolutely nothing about someone. And it was right. very exciting. I loved it so much, and I think you're going to like it, too. Mm -hmm. Courtney lives in Texas. If you hear some odd 
uh, audio rumblings and whatnot from her side of the conversation. She was literally recording like the day after Texas had its massive power outage failure. So forgive some of the audio quality. She was just kind of in the middle of no stuff. excuses. <laughs> I I would allow this excuse. I would allow this one. That's fair. Just so people know, we were coming out of Texas in the heat of it, or rather in the freezing of it. What's the? <laughs> I don't know how to say that. But uh, yeah, well, we had okay. I had messaged her the day before, and I was like, "Hey, if you need to cancel, I totally get it. Like, you have a lot going on." And she was like, "Honestly, we're kind of just like stuck in the house, and it's just been me and the kids for a couple days." A little bit of human interaction might be nice. So we kept our appointment and I had a delightful interview with Courtney. So and I'm kind of tired of not letting people listen to it. So I think we should just go to my interview with Courtney Clark. What do you think? There you are. Here we go. We are going to get started with some rapid fire questions. Courtney, are you ready? I am ready. Change or consistency? Consistency. Video games or board games? Board games. Are you task oriented or people oriented? People. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Oceans or lakes? Ooh, lakes. Rain or sun? Sun. Tea or coffee? Definitely coffee. Sea or space? Space. Beaches or mountains? Beaches. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. East coast or west coast? West coast. Laundry or dishes? Ugh, they both suck. Dishes. Passenger or driver? Passenger. Handshakes or hugs? Handshake. Phone calls or texts? Definitely text. Homebody or free spirit? Free spirit. Spender or saver? Saver. Do you call it soda or pop? Coke. You live in Texas. Absolutely. This is the South. Everything is Coke. Perfect. Books or movies? Books. And finally, introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. All right, so next we're going to do icebreakers. These are kind of like the same style questions, but they're a lot more open-ended. Let's start with, do you have a collection of something? I have a collection of coffee mugs. And for a while, I collected coffee makers, and we had like 12 at one point, and my husband made me get rid of a lot of them because it was like our entire kitchen was like a coffee shop. Yeah, you, you're just a barista at that point. I, yes. Well, I mean, I was a barista for six years, so... It carried oh, over. Good to know. What is a smell that takes you back to a good memory of your childhood? Mm, the cheap Claire's body spray. Mm, like any mm-hmm. of them, but specifically like the <laughs> fruity ones. Do you have a favorite sport or physical activity to participate in? Mm, I love yoga, um, but I also really like to run. So it's a tie. Favorite dine-in restaurant? Oh, man, it's been so long. I don't know if I remember. Um, there is a vegan diner in, close to where I live called Spiral Diner. That is probably my favorite. Do you have a favorite fast food joint? Chick-fil-A. All right, we're on the favorites train. So do you have a favorite candy? Um, Not really. I like dark chocolate, but I'm not a candy person, really. 
How dark chocolate are we talking here? Like 85. Dark indeed. Yeah. Like I wanted <laughs> to taste like bitter, like dirt. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. An acquired taste, but I feel like dark chocolate goes with coffee pretty well. So dark chocolate, coffee, dark beer. I mean, it all ties together, right? Yes, absolutely. It does. What's your favorite snack? Peanut butter Lara bars. What's your favorite morning drink? I make an oat milk latte every morning. Amazing. I love that. It's phenomenal. Favorite TV show? Friends. For, oh, I'm so sad my wife is not here. You guys could just talk about friends for a whole hour, I bet. <laughs> I so could. Yes. What was your first job? I My first job was a barista at Starbucks. Starbucks barista. Was this the six-year-long stretch as barista? Yes. I worked at Starbucks through high school and college. A career Starbucks. Yes. I So I worked at a shop called City Brew here in Montana, which is like just knockoff Starbucks, basically. It's still fast food yeah. coffee. That's what yeah. I call these places. Totally fast food coffee. And I, I was there for five years, so I can absolutely join you in like, it was like a career for a while. <laughs> it was, and I loved it. Um, now, I don't know that Good. I could ever go back because it was really hard, <laughs> but I did love it while I was there. And the perk of free coffee was always nice. You love it. And also like all the memories, like I wouldn't want to ruin the me the good memories I have of working there for so long by trying to work there again now, you know? Yes, absolutely. Like I still think I have nightmares from the timers that we used. Like they mm -hmm. were just everywhere going off oh. all the time. I can oh, still hear them. I feel that There's no bones. way I could go back. Yeah. I would have like PTSD <laughs> or something. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I would say the ability to be invisible or to walk through walls. I can't decide. What would you say is your proudest accomplishment? Um, I feel like I have to say my kids, but mm. <laughs> because I mean, mm -hmm. they're out there. But outside of that, I would say walking away from the church. It was hmm. not an easy decision. And it was at the time it was devastating, but. Now I would say like that's probably the proudest moment of my life uh, because it started me on a track to like becoming myself and not who someone told me I should be. Mm, I love that answer. I'm so excited to hear that story. But I'm going to finish these these icebreakers first. Um, <laughs> what are foods you will never eat? So I will pretty much eat anything. Um, I'm allergic to milk. So, mm, I mean, like mm -hmm. all dairy products would kill me. So I guess those, but anything else is fair. That game. would do it. What is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? Oh, low rise jeans. What's your biggest pet peeve? Being interrupted. All right. Um, this is one I sent you ahead of time because I'm, I'm always curious of the answer. What would you consider to be one of your favorite failures, like a failure that set you up for something or taught you something about yourself um i'm gonna have to go back to the church i got fired you got so it was like an epic failure yeah there's a lot to unpack in this story that is a story we will get to i promise <laughs> okay uh, i'm loving all the teasers so far uh who would you call your best friend my best friend's name is arielle and she moved to california almost two years ago Last icebreaker here. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Mm, I alternated between being president and being an astronaut. 
These are both pretty big things. I love these. Astronaut yeah, and president. I um, obviously didn't do either one of them, but <laughs> that was... Yet. <laughs> yet. Yes. I am not president yet. I have no background to be able to become president, but I mean, a lot could happen and you have to be 40 to run, right? So that's 20 years. A lot can happen. This is true. This is true. We have some time. Also, private space travel coming up with our friend Elon. You might just be able to like shoot yourself into space. This is true. If you have enough cash on it. Maybe. (laughs) We'll see. I definitely don't, but maybe one day. All right. That was the end. We're done with the rapid fire. We're done with the icebreaker. Uh, So Courtney Clark, thank you so much for being on No Normal People. Well, thanks for having me. You were you were someone who took us up on our offer when we said, hey, you can go sign up to be on this show by going to our contact page. So you're just you're just a success story already happening. Like, we're so glad that you took us up on the offer. And we would definitely encourage anyone else who wants to do this to go find the same link. I'm super excited. It's been my dream to be on a podcast. So I love it. We're fulfilling dreams. You can be on podcasts and maybe be president and astronaut one day. But one thing at a time, we're on a podcast. <laughs> one <So> day. <laughs> let's, let's get started. Um, would you tell me about where you grew up and what your family was like growing up? Oh, so I grew up in a very, very, very small town called Clyde, Texas. That like I don't even think is on a map. It's super small. My family was Southern Baptist. And I think we left the hospital and like went to church. My Great grandfather mm. and my grandfather and my dad were all pastors at some point in their life. So, I mean, the church was just like everything. We like lived and breathed church when the doors were open. And we were Southern Baptist, very fundamental Southern Baptist. Like girls don't wear pants, Southern Baptist. And you're probably like Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night church kind of thing. Yep. A couple Tuesdays sprinkled in there. And then when there was like, they had the tent revivals and we'd be at church for like two weeks straight. And it started mm. at seven and ended when the Holy Spirit told us it was then over. Wow. All right. So small town, Texas, growing up in Clyde. Um, what was your family like? Do you have siblings to speak of? I have a twin sister, actually. Is it and is it just the two of you in the in the sibling family? It's just the two of us. Yep. My mom said she only wanted two kids and God knew that she couldn't be pregnant more than once. So she gave them oh, wow. to her both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Was growing up in Clyde, like, was this all the way through high school for you? Like, was it small town growing up? Um, pretty much. So we moved, I was 10 when we moved from Clyde to a town outside of San Antonio called Lavernia. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of culture shock because I went from an all white school to a mostly Hispanic school. And then we were not in Lavernia for very long. And then we moved to Dallas when I was 14. And that's where I am now. And that was a major culture shock. It was um, a very dramatic change, (laughs) but I would say it was like, it was very eye opening. Could you say more about that? Like what specific things? Cause like I grew up in pretty small town, Iowa and small town, Montana for a good long while. And now Billings, Montana is the biggest city in, in Montana, but it's still (laughs) maybe just over a hundred thousand people. So it's not like I'm getting like a real culture shock of big city. So I always love asking about this. Yeah. I would say the biggest shock was just being introduced to different people. So mm-hmm. Clyde was where we were the longest. And it was very much like there was a sign outside the city that was like, don't let the sun set here if you're black. Um, wow. So like there were no like if you were disabled or like in any kind of marginalized group, 
you were really not accepted and you were kind of pushed out. So you either never left your house or you moved. Uh, So it was very much just like white middle class. And if you weren't white middle Mm -hmm. class, you were ostracized. And then when we moved to San Antonio, it was kind of the same thing, um, but Hispanics were allowed, but they had to be middle class Hispanics. And so Mm -hmm. there wasn't really a whole lot that I was exposed to outside of those two dynamics. Mm. And then when we moved to Dallas, I mean, it's the big city. And so everything was different. And I was, I met people that were disabled. I met people that were different sexualities, um, gender fluid, Mm -hmm. different races, so many different things that I never had been exposed to or even really knew existed. And it made me kind of question everything (laughs) Um, because Growing up in the church, the only really big disabilities we had heard of were like people being deaf, people being in a wheelchair or autism. And those were just like people were demon possessed and Mm. they like had to have an exorcism. And then I move here and I meet these people that are like totally different lifestyles, totally different like abilities or races or, you know, just all of the different things. And I'm kind of like, this is so different than what I heard. Like, these aren't people that I should be scared of. And like, why are we so scared of black people? They're super nice. Like my best friend is <laughs> is not white and I, she seems fine. So mm. why, why was it, why were we so scared of them growing up? Sure. Um, and then same with just people on disability and whatever. So I just saw that the world was a lot bigger yeah. than just middle-class white people. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's quite the experience for someone high school age too. Like very impressionable in those teenage years and learning that yeah. the small town was very cloistered and very like you were, you were kind of sheltered from quite a few things, right? Yes. Wow. After high school graduation, did you go to college? And if so, what did you study? I did. I went to the University of Texas at Arlington Mm -hmm. and I studied a little bit of everything. I did not finish, which is a story in itself. Totally is. I have a similar story. (laughs) um, I started as a biology major and was going to go into athletic science and then they dropped the athletic science program. So I switched to psychology and then decided that I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist. So I switched to social work and then I switched back to psychology because I realized I didn't want to be a marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I quit. What a roller so. coaster of majors. I love it. <laughs> my ultimate end goal now that I have yeah. had time to think about it, my end goal I would like to be a pediatric occupational therapist. So I was headed in the right direction with psychology, but just didn't quite make it there. Yeah, I see where the direction's already paved for you a little bit. I love that you mentioned too, like now that I've actually had time to think about it, I figured out like what I feel called to or what <laughs> excites me. No, I wish that I had, if I could go back and do it again, I wish I had taken a gap year to mm-hmm. kind of figure myself out, but that wasn't an option. It was like everybody goes to college because that's what you do. Yeah, you get caught up in the high school junior and senior year and being like, everyone's signing up. We're doing scholarships now. We're declaring majors before we even graduate high school. And it's just, it's just wild to me that that's still the way we do it. I know it's so crazy. So I will push my kids to take a gap year, figure yourself out, take your time. You don't have to be a grown up when you graduate high school. Mm. It's okay. Love that. I'm curious if you want to tell any of the story of how you met your husband like, let's let's talk about your family a bit before we, like, hop back into some of your other, like, church stories and whatnot. Okay, well, it's meeting my husband is going to tie into the church story, so that'll be a good segue. Um, 
I was in college. I followed a boy to college, which was the worst idea. Ended up at a school that I didn't really want to be at, didn't love. And then that relationship went, I mean, we were together for two and a half years. um, And I just kind of got sick of it. And I felt like I was wasting my time. So Mm. I broke up with him. um, And then I was just kind of lost. I'm like at this school that I don't want to be at. And like, don't have any friends because I've put all of my time and effort into this guy. And now he's gone. And like, what do I do with my life? And I had kind of decided at that point, I had gone to church my entire life. And so when I went to college and moved out of my parents' house, I was like, maybe I want to take a break from church because maybe I don't believe any of this. Like, maybe this is just something my parents made me do. So I took a break for a little while. And then when I broke up with him, I was like, you know what? I really miss church. Like, that's a good place to meet people. And I guess I do kind of, I guess I do believe in this whole God thing. So I started going to church with my parents again. Um, And at this point, they're at a very charismatic they were not claimed non-denominational, but I would say that they were probably Presbyterian. Mm, okay. Yeah. And it was it was just kind of a strange church, um, like dancing in the aisles and um, like exorcisms on a weekly basis. It was just kind of weird. Hmm. And I didn't love it, but it was church. And so I was going. And then I ran into a friend at the gym from high school and started talking to him. And he was like, hey, I'm a pastor, a youth pastor at a church, and I just started, and I need an assistant. Would you be interested in coming to check it out? Hmm. Um, I mean, at the very least, you could join our small group and just kind of go from there. And I was like, I'm looking for church, actually, so that sounds great. So I went to the small group and just fell in love with the people in the small group. My husband was in the small group. That's not when we started connecting, but that was the first time I had met him, was at the mm-hmm. small group. And went to the small group for probably a couple months and then went to my friend. His name was Travis, my friend, and asked him like, hey, that assistant position that you were talking about, is that still available? And he was like, yes. Oh, my gosh. I am like desperate. Will you come check out our service on Wednesday so that you can meet the students and kind of get a feel and just let me know like if this is for sure what you want to do. So I was like, "Okay, cool. I'll do that. So it was like the end of the winter semester. And then I started attending youth services and decided that I was going to take a job as his assistant. So when it came time for the spring semester to start, I just didn't enroll in classes because I was full-time working. Uh, I was working at a daycare part-time and then mm-hmm. full-time working mm-hmm. for the church. And I just didn't have time for school. And I was like, I want to be in ministry. Like, this is what I want to do. I'm doing it already. Like, I don't need to go to college. This is, it's fine. So my husband was the media and audio engineer director for the church. And he was always at services because he was putting on the, it was a mega, one of those mega churches that has like a concert every Mm -hmm. week. Very familiar. So he was always doing that. Um, So we were always there early before and we would talk to each other and we knew each other from small group. And he asked me out and I was like, uh, no, I'm good. And (laughs) (laughs) and so he was like, well, wait a but we kept being friends. We kept talking. He was very respectful. He was like, if you just want to be friends, whatever, it's fine. And oh, this was right before I took the job. We ended up at a Christmas party and didn't know anyone else there. So I just sat and talked to him the whole night for like an hour or more. And he was like, you're pretty fun to talk to. Like, can I get your phone number? Because there, and then I told him there was another Christmas party for someone else at church that I didn't have anybody to go with. And so he went with me to that Christmas party. And then in between, it was like a week in between. We talked on the phone every night. So after that, we talked every single night. He was like, okay, so like we know each other pretty well. We're talking all the time. Are you sure you don't want to go on a date with me? And I was like, 
okay, I'll go, but like, I'm not really, I don't know. And he was like, that doesn't seem super optimistic, but okay. And so the night before our date, I called it canceled. And he was like, what is going on? And I was like, I can't talk to you about this right now. Like, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> so like, I tried to avoid him. And then like a week later, he cornered me at church and was like, dude, you got to talk to me. Like, what the heck? I thought we had something going. And mm -hmm. now you're like bailing on me. What's going on? And he was like, I just need to know, like, if you just want to be friends, that's fine. But I'm going to have to have some distance to kind of like sort some things out because I'm really into you. Sure. And I was like, well, there's just a lot <laughs> going on. And <laughs> I just don't know. Like, I just don't know. And he was like, OK, well church was over we were cleaning up and he was like why don't we go sit in my car and we can talk about it it's not a date and we'll just talk about it and i'm like okay we'll just talk about it so we get in the car and i tell him like i've done the whole thing where i've dated my best friend and it didn't end up well and i just don't want to do that again like you're amazing and you're i would say you're my best friend and i don't want to lose you and he was like i don't want to like invalidate your experience but that sounds really stupid and i was like what what are you talking about and wow. he was like well, you, you're saying that I am your best friend and you like hanging out with me, but you like don't want to lose me. And I don't really know what that means. <laughs> and I was like, basically what I'm saying is I will only go on a date with you if you agree to marry me. And he said, okay. Whoa. That and escalated then... <laughs> so fast. Oh my. Wow. So fast. Like crazy fast. And then two weeks later I had a ring and we got married. Oh my. So. Oh my God. So you were like, you were kind of dating before you had that conversation wow yeah yeah but it was always like it's not a date you were dating without the labels right yeah definitely and it was just because i was scared but we were like we always went on group dates like i mean it was the real christian good girl kind of thing to do right not on purpose mm -hmm. but that's what it looked like to everybody like we're only going on group dates he's not coming over to my house like sure we're very platonic no holding hands or anything and then we got engaged we just skipped the engaged. whole dating part look at that Look yeah. at that. And and how long have you guys been married at this point? Um, it'll be six years this year. Oh, six years. Congratulations. That's amazing. Dixie and I just Thank celebrated you. five years and it feels big. I, I like I love being it married does. to this person. Absolutely. I know. It's amazing. We were in uh we were just like it, we went to bed way late last night. Like it was ridiculous. But we were laying down mm -hmm. and we were just like laughing. And I was like, this is why people get married. Like this is mm -hmm. so fun. Totally. We've been married almost six years and like this is the best. I get to have a sleepover with my best friend every night. You absolutely do. You absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Would you tell me about the rest of your family? Can I hear a little bit about your kiddos? Yeah. So I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. We were not planning on having kids right away, but mm -hmm. yeah, that was not the plan. Uh, but <laughs> I got pregnant on accident and then we were like, okay, well, we're going to go with it and just see what happens. And then we loved him. My first is a boy. His name is James. Mm -hmm. And we loved him so much that we were like, we knew we wanted two kids. And we were like, this happened so fast. Like, we're going to wait a while. But then it, we, it was just amazing being parents. And he was great. And we're like, let's just go ahead and do it. Let's just have another one. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we had another one, like, right away. So they're um, 22 months apart, which at the time I thought was a good idea. But my body did not agree. My mm. second pregnancy almost killed me. Uh, oh, wow. Not literally, but I mean, like physically, I still like can't walk right. And like, it's crazy. Sure. Friends don't have your babies 22 months apart. At least wait two years before you get pregnant again. But I love my kids. So 
<laughs> so it was worth it. Absolutely you do. All right. So now usually my next question is what you do, what do you do for work? But I think that kind of ties in with the whole church story as well from what we've yes. talked about on email beforehand. So I want to start telling this story that we teased in Icebreakers and we've teased all the way through your kind of like growing up phase. So where would you like to start in this whole church yeah. journey? So I took the job in December with um, as my friend's assistant. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a whole back and forth of like, I'm doing this job. But then they were like, well, it's technically not a job. But then I was like, then why do I have a title? Mm-hmm. And there's this whole back and forth thing of like, am I going to get paid for this or not? Because I'm doing this full time and I've been told that like if I do it full time and like prove that I'm worth it, that I'll start getting Mm -hmm. a paycheck. And I like literally dedicate day in and day out to doing this. And my technical title was girls youth minister, Mm -hmm. um, which I was not. That was not my job. I was the associate youth pastor. And that was like my responsibility. basically. I would say the end of the school year. So in May. Travis took a new job at a different church, and I still at this point am not getting paid. There have been several conversations back and forth with the like we were at a satellite campus and there was like a lead youth pastor at the larger campus. And I had had several conversations with him about what a paycheck would look like and when when that would get started. And we kept we were just waiting on budgeting approvals. And I was like, it's been six months of waiting on budget approvals. Like, when do you do your budget? Mm-hmm. Come on, people. Right. So six months of that. And then Travis took a new job and moved across the country and was like, well, I'm doing this. They're not paying me for what I'm doing. Like, I'm just going to take over and mm-hmm. take his mm-hmm. job. Yeah. This Felt is great. Natural. Like, this is a great segue. And so I just told the lead pastor over all the youth groups, like, hey, this is what I want to do since this is open and you're not paying me to do what I'm doing now. Just mm-hmm. pay me to do this. He was like, well, I think you're better suited doing what you're doing. And I was like, this is what I'm doing. Like, I've literally been doing this. And (laughs) like, you just would be giving me the title and a paycheck for it now. And he was Mm -hmm. like, well, but you're not preaching. Right. And I was like, no, but I'm writing all the sermons that Travis is preaching. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, what do you mean? It was like a whole thing. And there was all this like nobody wanted to be honest with me. And so finally, after like the fourth or fifth meeting, I just was like, I cornered them. It was the pastor of the campus that I was at, the lead youth pastor over all the campuses, um, the new youth pastor that they hired to replace Travis and me, all of the all all men and then me. Yeah. And I was like, OK, I'm sick of all the skirting. Somebody tell me what the f- Sorry. I cuss like a sailor. Is that fine? <laughs> I will beep it, but I don't want you to censor yourself. Okay. So I <laughs> Sorry. don't, don't okay. worry about it. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> tell me what is going on. And yeah. they were like, well, so we didn't know like everything that you were doing. And technically, like women are not allowed to have that authority over men. And because there could be 18 year old boys in the youth group, like you're not allowed to preach. And there's also men like volunteers that are working. And I was like, yeah, what? Are mm-hmm. you freaking kidding me? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, so we think you're better suited doing X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, so you want me to go back to not being paid, but still doing everything. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we'll pay you. We're just waiting on budget. And I was like, no, 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 no. I've heard that before. You've yeah. been waiting on budget approvals since December. I'm not right. waiting anymore. And I've told you what I want to do. I've told you what my dreams are. And you've led me along, led me along this far. 
I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, well, if you can't get on board with that fact that women can't preach, then you're not allowed to have a job here. And I was like, well, I don't want your job anyways. So Ooh. bye. Wow. And so I got fired from a job that I didn't have. Wow. That is one way to say that, huh? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so hard. Uh, that sucks. Oh. Yeah. And so I, my husband was, had been along for the whole part. We weren't married yet. Um, we were engaged at this point and he had been along mm-hmm. for the whole process. And when I told him what was going on, he was, he had been at the church way longer than I had. He'd been at the church for five or six years. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I had no idea. Like absolutely no idea. They, I mean, oh, they wow. have women on staff. I had no idea that they viewed women this way. And I yeah. don't agree. And I am so sorry that this has been your experience. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm quitting. So he called his boss immediately and was like, this is what they've done to Courtney. And I don't agree. And like, she is my life now and I'm standing up for her. And if that means that I have to give up the thing that I love, then I'm going to give it up. Mm. And they tried to bribe him to get him to stay. And he was like, there's nothing you can do because clearly there are problems from the top down. And I, this is not anything I want to be a part of. Your husband is a bad. I love this. Yes. He is amazing. He is so supportive. Like absolutely like so hardcore team Courtney. That, oh, yes. I love this part of the story because, yes, yes, that is absolutely. And we weren't even married. That's the best part. We I weren't know. even married yet. And so, that's, yeah. That must have felt so gratifying and, like, validating for you. Like, oh. Oh, yeah. Like, the person I'm engaged oh, to marry yeah. also thinks this is crazy. That that must have felt so good. Yes. Yes. I was like, I'm not alone. Like, this is a big deal. Like, I'm not doing this by mm-hmm. myself. I think if I had done it by myself, it would have ruined me. Because it was still mm. super hard. Totally. And I was totally. mad. I was so mad. So we called this your favorite failure was getting fired from the job you never got paid for or never officially never, had. Yeah. So is the next step what you called your proudest accomplishment, which was just kind of walking away from that for a time? Yeah. So I would say walking away from that. And this is definitely something I'm still working through of just deconstruction. I mean, what you want to call it, like reconstruction, post faith, whatever. Um, but Which we should yeah, point just, out, it is how we met as well as you connected with us doing the Ravel show. Yes, through Ravel. Absolutely. Yeah, that show is amazing um, and has been a huge part of like, I mean, I've cut, it's been a long time. This has been, let's six years ago. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, six and a half years ago. So, wow. yeah, I mean, my deconstruction has been going for a while, but this has kind of helped. Ravel has helped kind of like solidify some things that I had questions about and brought up new questions inside of those questions. So, mm. That's great to hear. So where were things starting for you back in college when you were thinking like, maybe I don't believe like my parents do? Um, so the biggest thing for me um, that kind of started it all was I grew up in purity culture through the 90s mm-hmm. and 2000s when purity culture was a thing mm-hmm. and there was like no sex education at all whatsoever. And then I started dating this guy and he like, I mean, the relationship was super unhealthy. And I was manipulated into it, but we started having sex and I was like, why was everybody so scared of this? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel mm-hmm. like I'm possessed or like going to hell or like defiled. Sure. It was actually kind of fun. And so then I was like, what else is different? Like, what else do they have? I been convinced is true and is not true. Wow. Or maybe I don't agree with. And it kind of started me spiraling. And then I think a lot of it was shame, like, because, I mean, there's so much shame around having sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part of it. It was like I was kind of hiding from the shame, but also just kind of curious of, like, what else is there? I grew mm-hmm. up in this, like, such small bubble. 
And even though I was exposed to so much moving from small town to Dallas, there was still a lot of the world that I hadn't seen because I was still very devout Christian and like hardcore sold in my faith, like Mm. didn't make Mm -hmm. friends unless I was trying to convert them sold in my faith. Oh, I feel that too. Oh, that's. Yeah. (laughs) We have a very similar experience, I think, just from the conversations we've had. Yeah. So, I mean, that was my whole life was just this like Christian bubble. And then I kind of, it popped and I was like, Mm. oh, like there's other worldviews and maybe they're not all wrong. Sure. Do you think, was there any point in your life, especially early on in your faith, where you also believed that women could not be preaching? Yes. Yeah. Um, I would say up until I was in college, like Joyce Meyer was fine because her audience was women. And then Beth Moore was fine because her audience was women. And like men Mm. were choosing to go to these women's events, but it wasn't like advertised to them. So it was fine. And that was kind of like the line that I had drawn for myself because that's what I had been taught. It was like, I can teach to women, but that's it. Right. And then in college... I I remember very distinctly, I was in the car and I was listening to a podcast on the way to school. And I just remember thinking, I don't even remember what the podcast was or what they were talking about, but I was like, I want to do this. Like, this is amazing. I want to do this. Hmm. Uh, I was like, I mean, like, how do you even, this was back before you, like anybody could have a podcast. And I was like, how do you even start this? Sure. And so then I was like, maybe I have to be a pastor and like preach. And I was like, wait a minute, women aren't allowed to preach. Wait, wait, wait. And that's when I was kind of like, but if sex isn't going to like defile me like I was taught maybe there's other things that are wrong and maybe this is one of them Hmm. so I kind of started like digging through that a little and then when they were like pushing back on me everything inside of me was like I am right and they are wrong sure and I dug through and I spent hours and hours and hours and hours researching reading the bible trying to find like what does the bible actually say about this Mm -hmm. and like what does all this mean because they were Throwing scriptures at me, like, you know, the ones I'm talking about, where it's like, women need to sit down and be silent. Yeah. But you can't just, like, hand me a sentence and expect me to, like, take it for merit. Like, Mm -hmm. what is he talking about? Who is he talking to? What? I mean, like, there's a lot more going on in just these, like, five or six words. Mm -hmm. So. Totally. Wow, that that is quite the process there. So now that in the story here, we're, we're away from this job, we finally left the job we never officially had. I say we, I don't know why I'm speaking in that context, but um, (laughs) what gets you to what you currently do for work today? I'm so curious to hear about that evolution and that process. Yeah. Um, So we left, my husband and I, or we weren't married yet, but we left the church that we were at and someone that still worked at the church called my husband and was like, hey, there is a pastor that was here. Um, a few years ago, and he was fired for the same thing. And I heard that he started his own church. I don't know anything about it, but hmm. might be worth looking into. Hmm. And my husband knew him. So he was like, he, so he had, had his phone number, surprisingly. So he called him and was like, hey, I heard you started a church. And the guy was like, yeah, we've been going for um, like two or three years. Mm-hmm. And we actually just moved into our own building. It's going pretty well. Do you want, if you want to come check it out, here's the address and here's the time for the service. And so my husband told me that he wanted to go check it out. And I was like, I am not going. (laughs) I am so done. Like, I'm done with church. I'm done with all of it. Like, I don't want anything to do with these people. Mm. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I'm going to go whether you want to go or not. But (laughs) I would like for you to go with me, even if it's just to, like, keep me company. And he pulled up their website and started showing me, like, there's women on staff and they're not ministers. They're pastors. 
Hmm. So it's different. I promise it's different. He was fired for the same thing that you were fired for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't know. So I got online and I listened. They had a podcast recorded for every sermon for the last two years. Yeah. Yep. And so over the course of a week, I listened to every single one of them. Oh, my gosh. And that. Wow. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I was I wanted to know what I was getting into. That was a binge and, right there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was. And I didn't I didn't have a job anymore, so I didn't have anything to do. Yeah. So I listened to every single one of them over the course of a week and decided, okay, maybe they don't suck that much. Like, maybe it's fine, (laughs) but I still don't want to (laughs) go. So he drug me. I say drug me. We weren't living together. So he went he picked me up from my house. I willingly got in the car and went to church with him. And Mm -hmm. then after the service, I like cornered this pastor and was like, let me tell you all the things that are wrong with you because you're a Christian. And he was like, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I know exactly how you feel. Welcome. And I was like, wait, why are you so nice to me? Oh, yes. And he was he was like, well, I mean, we've that's how this church started. <laughs> we've all been here. We've all been through this. This is like the point of this church is kind of like a refuge for the people that have been burnt mm. by the church. Mm. And you don't have to believe in God to be here. Mm-hmm. If you want to meet people and that's the only reason you're here, then you're welcome. And so I was like, well, this is weird, but okay. And we started going every week. And like six months later, I was like, how do we join? And can we start a small group? And can we do all these things? And started volunteering for everything. And I, he, at the, the lead pastor, had heard all of my story. I told him everything about wanting to be a pastor, wanting to preach, and then getting fired from a job that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, we're always looking for new voices. And I think you have a story to tell. And if you have the desire, we have the ability. So if you want to preach, preach. So I was like, let's do this. <laughs> so he put me up up front in front of everyone and I preached my sur- first sermon in July of 2016 and mm-hmm. I preached once a month up until I had kids and then it's been kind of sporadic just because kids are crazy and take up a lot of time mm-hmm. um, but I preached fairly often and I got ordained which is how I have the title reverend um, just because it's the ordination process but nobody actually uses that mostly I just like to say that because it's kind of like a kick in the face to the job that I got fired from because I'm like ha suckers I, uh, I mean it definitely caught because. my eye when when we got introduced <laughs> I was like oh Courtney's a reverend all right <laughs> um so yeah I preach periodically um I'm, I we led a small group and my husband does all the audio and IT stuff for the church and mm. we're very involved and it seems like a, almost a 180 from where we were because it's so different. Um, and this church has helped me question. And even though I'm still like, there are some days where I'm like, God does not exist. I'm a hundred percent an atheist. Like there's still space for me mm-hmm. at this church, even though I feel that way. And there's still space for me to preach, even though I feel that way. Right. Uh, and it just feels so validating and so freeing. And I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about people and I've learned a lot about marginalized communities and how to just truly genuinely love people because I love people, not because I want to save them. Mm-hmm. 
If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you find this podcast valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. And be sure to visit us at NoNormalPeople.com where you can sign up for our email newsletter called The Three Thought Thing. I'm curious to ask next. Now we're just going to like open it up. This is classic no normal people. And I'm just going to ask, what (laughs) would you say you are passionate about? I'm sure some of these conversations that we've already had could fall under this list. But like, what do you wake up thinking about? What could you be thinking and talking about when you have nothing else to think and talk about? Oh, so there's this two answers to this question. I'm going to say the first one is like along the lines of what we've been talking about of just those Mm -hmm. marginalized communities that feel like they have no place kind of anywhere in the world um, and just learning how to love them where they are, Um, not Mm. to change them, but because they have something valuable to give to the world. That's something I'm passionate about and like just learning about how to interact with them and then amplify their voice in any way that I can. Mm. And then the second part is kind of totally out in the field. My son um, was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder right before he turned two. Um, But we're still kind of trying to figure out the other end of his diagnosis Mm -hmm. because sensory processing disorder doesn't is not standalone, at least not currently. So that kind of led me down a path of like, well, what is this? What does this mean? What does this look like? How do I help him? Because he struggles with emotional regulation and we'll just have like meltdowns that last hours on end. And it's just he seems so scared and alone and I want to help him. Mm. And so I took uh, i love to research just anything but especially when it's something that i care about or like someone i care about is involved in yeah so i took a nosedive and just like i told my husband all the time i have a degree from google on occupational therapy <laughs> um, a degree from google yes and that, i mean <laughs> <laughs> um, because and that is what i want to do um I, I do i have decided that i want to be an occupational therapist that's because of my son. And that's something that I'm really passionate oh, about is wow. just the sensory system um, and how it impacts our life. Whether you have sensory processing disorder or not, um, mm. your sensory system impacts how you live your life. And so just how trauma affects your sensory system and how your sensory system uh, impacts trauma and how your body responds to it all is just so fascinating to me. Uh, so I spend a lot of time kind of diving into that and I've found several ways to help my son just kind of have a better quality of life and kind of with some emotional regulation sure. alongside his, he is an occupational therapist that has an actual degree from a real school and not Google that he goes to, <laughs> but I do things with him at home as well. So, yeah. Would you, would you talk to me about this diagnosis? Like what are some of the basics? Cause I've, I've honestly never heard of it before. So yeah, let's just start there. Would you tell me more about what, what the diagnosis is? Oh, really? Okay. So sensory processing disorder is underneath the umbrella of autism. And currently, according to the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic criteria for like most like psychiatric, psychological disorders, mm-hmm. it's not standalone. So it either falls under ADHD, autism, or anxiety. So his body processes, your, you have seven different, no, nine, I think, seven or nine, I don't remember, seven or nine different sensory systems in your body. And mm, so- okay. You, his body processes sensory input differently. Um, and what people think of most often is the tactile sense, which is like 
tags and clothes are itchy and he like freaks out if you put his socks on wrong or he has to have like a certain kind of pajamas or he can't sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are like the common things that people would notice. Uh, But his biggest thing is he is under responsive to vestibular input and vestibular, your vestibular sense is what tells your body where you are in space. So when you spin and you get dizzy, you're stimulating your vestibular processing system. Sure. Um, And for him, he doesn't get dizzy. So he's under responsive. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That's a good clarification because I was about to ask if the diagnosis was always just take sensory input and crank the dial to 11 and then break off the knob. Like everything is like hyper exaggerated. So it could go either way. You either hyper exaggerated or Mm. under exaggerated. Yeah. It could be either or. So what are the dangers of an under responsive vestibular system? So um, it impacts learning. Developmentally, he has a motor planning delay where like if I were to say I want to pick up that ball that's on my left, he can say I want to pick up that ball that's on my left, but he can't. It takes him a long time to figure out like how to make his body move to do that. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. It's like if I were to ask him to walk on a line, he would walk next to it, not on top of it. Hmm. Um, that's just kind of some basics. So, I mean, he's only three, so we don't know how it's going to affect reading and writing. Um, but those are possibilities sure. that it could affect mm-hmm. those two. Um, and it is, that's the importance of early intervention is that you are catching it early before the age of five, ideally, and you're helping integrate that sensory system. So you can't correct it and like make it go away, but you can train his body to respond more appropriately and be responsive to the vestibular input. That he is mm-hmm. receiving. I'm sure. sure if you can do that, you can kind of correct some of these things. Well, I love I love that you would name this as a passion, and I love that this comes directly out of your desire to love and like help your son navigate the world. What are the what are the kind of things that you started noticing that drew you into that diagnosis? Like what what were you noticing as like in his behavior that helped you find this? The very first thing I noticed was he was two months old and Mm -hmm. my sister got married and I took him with me to the rehearsal dinner and the whole two hours we were there, he just screamed because it was loud and it was cold and Mm -hmm. there was just everything was different. And I remember thinking, like, he is so sensitive. Like, I know babies are sensitive, but this doesn't seem normal. Mm, Yeah. And. I kind of brush it off of like, he's only two months old. This is like a really big thing to expose a two month old to. And like, you know, it's kind of overwhelming to me. Like, we'll just go home and ho- he'll be better in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it was an hour drive home and he cried the whole way. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't sleep at all that night. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is very outside of normal. Mm-hmm. And so I called the doctor and they were, they were like, oh, he probably just has colic. Give him gas drops. He'll be fine. So we did gas drops. He was diagnosed with reflux. He was like, we did this like back and forth and he was on all this different kind of medicine and none of it was working. And so I finally changed pediatricians and she was like, oh, he has some sort of food allergy and it's just making his stomach sensitive because I mean, at that point he was six months old and they were like, it's not colic if it's, he's six months. So it has to be something that you're eating because I was nursing. It was like, it has Mm, to be something mm -hmm. that you're eating that he's allergic to. Right. So I cut down to literally I was eating like salad and rice. Like that was wow. And I was literally starving, trying to figure out like what he was allergic to. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where I was like, I can't do this. Like I'm going to die and not be able to take care of him. And we tried to switch to formula and that made it even worse. And so 
it was a very, very long process, but we eventually figured out that he was allergic to milk and eggs, which I'm allergic to milk. Mm -hmm. So that one we found out when he, that's why the formula made it worse because there's milk in formula and he'd never been exposed to that before. Wow. Yeah. And then I started adding back in foods and found out that he was allergic to eggs. So once I cut those things out, um, he was doing butter, but then he was, I want to say nine months old. We were in a play group with babies that were all like within a couple of days of his birthday. Hmm. And they were all, they would, we got together every week and we all were all having fun and they were all playing together. And as our babies got older, they started interacting together rather than just like being in the same room together. And someone mentioned like, cause we are um, like lower middle class in a very, 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 very wealthy area. Mm, and mm-hmm. so being a stay-at-home mom was like a huge cut for us mm. and like we don't have really money for anything outside of the essentials mm-hmm. and my friends are not that way they're stay-at-home moms because their husbands make ample amounts of money and like they they didn't have to work before sure yeah and so they all of their kids are in like extracurricular activities they had them in like my gym and music class and like all these things and they were taking their kids to like stuff every day of the week and i was doing this play group because it was free mm. and so one of them had mentioned, like, maybe if you could, like, find the money to put him in a gym class or a music class or something, he would, like, interact better with the other kids. And because maybe he's just not getting, like, social exposure and he doesn't know, like, sure. how to interact with him because he's not getting it a lot. Mm. And I just burst into tears. <laughs> I was like, how could you say something like that? That is you're, like, basically telling me that you hate my kid. And she was like, no, it's not that. It's just he's, like, kind of hard to manage. <laughs> and it's stressful for everyone and like Mm. we just want to help you and i was like well then if you think that's going to fix it then you pay to put him in classes because i don't have the money and i decided i never wanted to go back to that (laughs) playgroup because i was so offended and i had always kind of been concerned from that like two months of like when he was two months and then all those months trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with him and why he had he was colicky forever and at that point i was like okay there's definitely something And that's when I started doing the research on sensory processing disorder and um, decided myself that that's what it was and started working with him at home. And then I got pregnant with our second. And right before she was born, I realized, like, I can't do this by myself with another baby. There's absolutely no way we have to have help. So I took him and got him professionally evaluated. And he was officially diagnosed with sensory processing disorder Mm. with the possibility of anxiety or autism. Mm, yeah and so he's been in therapy for uh, about a year and a half and then we just started um we did a full psych evaluation with the school district to to figure out what the second half of the diagnosis is Mm -hmm. so we're waiting on that we have the meeting with the school district next week wow wow so you're you're in the middle of it still too yes yes Mm. i just love that you name it as a passion that's so (laughs) i I just love hearing that like you, you care so much you're here for it you're willing to go and put the time into your Google degree yes. to figure out like the best way to love him and the best way to like support him. That's so good. That's all I could ever want for myself. Uh, and that's all I want for everybody, not just my kids, but like everyone. And like I was saying sure. with the marginalized communities, I do the same thing, mm. like studying about language and um, like political correctness or whatever you want to call it, mm. just studying that language and like, how do I love these people where they are and like for who they are and yeah. how can I meet them there? Absolutely. I just love people and I love to love people. Mm. And, and like that side of the conversation, that sounds so, I mean, you were telling me about Clyde and like the signs 
on the the outside of town, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't let the sunset. Mm-hmm. What a place to finally arrive in your life where you can where you can be like, hey, that's problematic. Maybe we could work on solving yeah. some of these issues as well. Yeah, yeah, I've come a long way. Was that was that a hard process for you to like be raised in that kind of environment and now where you are? Like, was that quite a deconstruction process for you, or was that more of like a switch flipped and you were like, oh, that's. I think it was so gradual and it was so like little pieces by little pieces that I don't even really know like how it all unfolded. But I will say the hardest part is my family is still very much in that place. Mm. My parents have come a little ways, but they're still, I mean, like everyone in my family is still in that place. And that's hard. And sure. because I feel like there's things that I like can't talk about or like I, we'll just like if we have these conversations, I'll just get riled up and like mm, yeah. get pissed off. Wow. Yeah. And so just knowing like they don't love people simply for something that they don't understand. Mm. Well, that's so good, Courtney. That must be hard. Well, so I don't want to comment because Texas is so flipping big and like very diverse. <laughs> but to be in Texas and be in that place as well, like, do you feel like you kind of stick out for that a little bit? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, definitely. The good thing about being in Dallas is there's a lot of people from California that have migrated to Dallas. So oh, yeah. we're a lot more open-minded here, but there are still a lot. There's still a lot of that and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And just everything is segregated. And I don't know if it's like this everywhere else. I mean, but everything is kind of segregated. Like we have black neighborhoods and Hispanic neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. And it still seems like we're in the 1950s. Sure. All right. I'm going to pivot a little bit. So we've talked about your passions here. I am curious if you have any hobbies. Um, I like to read. So I try to read as much as I can, preferably nonfiction and podcasts. I listen to like, oh my God, so many podcasts. I just, I like to learn, I guess. That's my hobby. I like to learn. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Just anything and everything. All right. Well, then let's talk about podcasts. This is obviously my thing. I go and start like three of my own shows and a network and all that nonsense. Do you remember the first podcast you listened to? Oh, now I'm kind of ashamed of it, but it was Joyce Meyer. I think it was the first podcast I ever listened ashamed to. Ashamed of it? Do you not like Joyce Meyer anymore? I don't agree with really <laughs> anything that she teaches, so no. Okay. <laughs> she seems like a wonderful person. Sure. But yes, I gotcha. at the time, I was all in, and I agreed with her wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. but I don't anymore. Mm. My very first podcast uh, was the Bad Christian Podcast. Yes, that one is so good. I grew up metalhead, so like Emery was in my, my CD collection yeah. as a high schooler. And when I learned that they had a podcast and that they were on the internet, I was like, oh, heck yeah, man, I'm here for it. So started from the <laughs> beginning, like binged their first couple hundred episodes to get caught up to where I jumped in the stream. So yeah, Bad Christian and Joyce Meyer being our first podcast. What a <laughs> <laughs> That's a good spread. All right. How many podcasts are you subscribed to? Oh my gosh. I have no idea. I, it's probably close to like 40. I mean, definitely I don't come close to you. I have some sort of weird obsession. I think I'm like at 108. <laughs> I've honestly lost count a little bit. But what's the what's the spread on what you kind of like to listen to? I know reading goes like a lot of nonfiction because you like to learn. But mm. like what kind of what are the like the genres of the shows across your subscribe list? 
Oh, man. They're pretty much all, like, I like news podcasts and then this faith, like, deconstruction. Yeah, that's Whatever you want to put Ravel in. Sure. All of those. Um, That's mostly what I listen to. Those are my go-tos just because it's so fascinating to me. But I do listen to a lot of news. And then there's, like, those Uncover, the podcast Uncover, which is, like, a... It's like a news kind of CBC podcast where they like break down different. It's like each season breaks down like some sort of different thing. Um, like one of them, they did the Nexium cult and then they've done some like crime. Oh, yeah. Some crime mysteries type stuff. Yeah. I think you pitched this in our Ravel discord at one point and got Josh yes. like yes. down the cult I, rabbit hole. <laughs> I did. Yeah. We had a really long conversation about that. Yes. What a classic. Oh, that's so good. Okay, now I just want to talk about specific shows. Like, if you were to pick, like, your top five, like, every time they release an episode, it's, like, top of your list, regardless of how long it is or, like, what you're in the middle of. Um, So, Ravel's at the top. That one's for sure. I listen, oh, like, no the day it comes out. I, like, sit on pins and needles waiting for it to come out. And then next would be The Cozy Robot Show. Don't repeat this. Uncover. Exvangelical. So, I mean, they're pretty much all in that same realm of, like, faith deconstruction. I would imagine your reading list is pretty similar almost to the podcast. Like, do you do you get a lot of books from the podcasters you like to listen to and just kind of along the, these faith lines? Yeah. If a podcaster I listen to writes a book, I pretty much buy it. Or um, Josh plugs a lot of books on Ravel. Mm-hmm. I'll go check those out most of the time. I don't get to read as much as I would like to. But I think pretty much every book he's plugged I have on my list. Or if I haven't read it. But it's like that with every podcast I listen to. Totally. Yeah, Yeah, my Amazon list of books is uh, like thousands of books long. And (laughs) it's a little intimidating. I love scrolling to the bottom of the list and being like, I don't remember adding this to the list, but it must have been for a good reason. (laughs) I do that all the time. (laughs) Yes, all the time. Or like I send it to people for like Christmas and birthday and stuff. And my husband bought me a book off of my Amazon list for Christmas. And I was like, I don't remember putting this on there. Right. See, so what I've done is I've divided my, so like I have a huge pool book list that's like the one that's like over a thousand titles in it. But then I have a separate list, a separate wish list in Amazon that I call top 10 books. And those are the ones where like, I'll go through the list and be like, oh, I'm ready to read about this. And then I share the top 10 list with people when it's Christmas time. This is a hot Mm, tip, I think. That's a good idea. I think we should all do this because especially when it's that long, you start, you exactly your experience like you get a book that you're like huh i don't remember putting this on the list but i guess like past courtney was into (laughs) it so i'll give it a shot (laughs) yes exactly and it was a good book but yeah no i don't remember having it on totally do you like to follow any particular morning or evening routines i love mornings mornings are my favorite um but having kids kind of makes morning stressful. So uh, yeah, my son sure. does not sleep consistently and he gets up either like at five or at seven thirty. So I don't mm. want to set an alarm for four AM to get up before him if he's gonna sleep till seven thirty. So I just wait for him to come wake me up and then we kinda like run around like chickens with our heads cut off for a little while. Mm. That's mm-hmm. my morning routine. <laughs> uh, but I always make time to make an oat milk latte. Yep. Even if it means I have to turn on the TV or something. I have to have my latte. Sure. Other than that it's just chaos. <laughs> just controlled chaos to get everyone up and like. Controlled chaos. Yes. <laughs> That's very good. Do you like to do anything in particular in the evenings to help like wind down for the day? I love to work out. So I try to work out 
most nights, even if it's just like gentle stretching or yoga or something. Lately, and I mean like because of the pandemic lately, most of my nights look like crashing on the couch and staring at my phone until I fall asleep because Mm -hmm. stress and overwhelm. And that's the reality of 2020 and 2022.0. 2022.0. That's a way to say that. I can appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm curious, like, would you care to talk at all about what's happening in Texas right now and like what your situation is like? Yeah, absolutely. We got really lucky. I'm not sure how or why, but we did not lose power or water or anything. So we were just Mm, locked in our house Mm -hmm. for several days because the road conditions were so bad. And the scariest part for us was we ran out of food and went to the grocery store And they were closed, like all of them. Right. So we couldn't buy food, which is hard when you have young kids that don't understand. And my son already has a lot of anxiety. And so he was like, wait, what are we going to starve? Like, what is happening? Mm. So that was a little stressful. Uh, We did end up getting food. So we're fine now. But the situation was obviously way worse for a lot of people. I know. um, So my sister, they had two pipes burst, one in their laundry room and one over in the upstairs. Oh, gosh. And they gosh. lost everything in the downstairs portion of their house. Gosh. And so it's the, like, everything's so backlogged that they can't even have someone come look at it until next week. Um, and then I know that there are people, the last time I checked, power was starting to come back on, mm-hmm. but there were still hundreds of thousands of people that didn't have power. And then we're still on, everybody's under a boil water notice just because the plants like froze over. And so there's not a way to, I guess, sterilize the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sanitation Um, slows down quite a bit. um, But yeah, it was pretty dire. We're, we got lucky, like I said, and we had heat the whole time, but there are a lot of people that um, were like sitting in their car until their car ran out of gas to warm up. Or Mm -hmm. um, there was a house that they lit a fire in their fireplace that they had never used before. And it wasn't open and they're, house caught on fire oh gosh um, oh gosh there's just all kinds of crazy things that like we just were not prepared for because we didn't expect the electricity grid to just shut down yeah so yeah absolutely and it was they were they said that it was going to be rolling blackouts but it wasn't there was nothing rolling about it i man i i read your message on discord too about like just the fact mm-hmm. that it was important to highlight that you were able to make it through a drive through so you could have warm food yeah. Was like, yeah. Whoa, that is that is something that I take for granted all the time. Wow. I know. I know. There's so many things that I'm like, this is not something that I ever thought we would have to deal with. People all over the world, like, this is their reality. Like, they can't just go to Chick fil A or McDonald's or whatever mm, mm-hmm. because they don't want to cook. That's just not available. So, yeah. It's definitely like a, a humility check a little bit. Like, I often struggle with that feeling of like, man, we are all just so close. We are just on that like, oh, it's almost an image of like the sinners in the hands of an angry God. Like we are all just on like a spider web (laughs) over a fire with how chaotic things could get very quickly. Like one winter storm does this to us, right? I know. And I saw like, and I don't know how true this is, but someone was on Instagram and they were like, this happens all over the United States. Like no one's prepared for winter storms like this. And like it gets Mm. even colder in some places and people are without heat for days and blah, blah, blah. Like why is Texas freaking out? And I don't know if that's true. But then I was like, well, even if it's not true, like it does get colder than it did here. How are our systems not prepared for that? Right. And there needs to be a lot of change that needs to happen if that is the case. Well, I'm very glad to hear you guys have power and water. Of course, we'll 
continue to be praying for you and everyone in your community because some of the details you shared on the Discord when I asked was like, oh my gosh, that is so, that's hard to have to think about. But we're glad you're safe. We're glad your family is safe. Thank you. Thank you. To get us close to wrapping up here, I'm curious to ask, do you have any pets? I have a cat. She is kind of a brat. (laughs) Classic cat. (laughs) Classic cats. Absolutely. What's her name? Her name is Harley. Harley Quinn. (laughs) Would you describe her personality a little bit? I mean, you already said brat. (laughs) Um, That's the best word to describe her. She um, will climb on me and want to sit on me. But if I touch her, she bites me. So it's all one-sided. She can do the touching. I cannot. Mm. Um, All right. Moving us into closing questions. I am curious to ask what you are currently reading. Um, I am reading... The Original Blessing by Danielle Schroyer. And what are you currently listening to? I mean, like we've talked about podcasts already. I think we could probably (laughs) say we covered that. But what comes up like when you pull up Pandora or Spotify? Like what do you like to jam when it's music time? Oh, I actually don't like music. So I would rather listen to someone talk all day. Wow. Yeah. Um, My kids love music. So they're always listening to music. So there's always something playing for them. But I, if I had my choice, I would just listen to someone talk. Do you do audiobooks at all? I do, sort of. Um, so I looked at getting an Audible subscription, but we're broke and $15 a month is a lot. Mm-hmm. So we, I have the library has like some audiobooks. So if it's available as an audiobook, I'll get it from the library, but they don't have everything. Mm. Gotcha. Totally. So, I mean, $15 a month would probably be totally worth it, but there are other things that I would like to spend my money on. Absolutely. Like the Patreon for Ravel, I think, is more worth it than an audiobook subscription. Wow, that is that is so high praise, and that makes make. me uncomfortable to hear just because like I'm like, oh, <laughs> thank you so much. We appreciate that so much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I love it, and it's like close and near to my heart, and so mm. I was like, I would rather support that than have the audible subscription and like this is the conversation for real like we made the decision between these two things like i would rather give to your patreon because it was more important to me and i'd rather listen to the podcast than an audiobook oh my gosh so well thank you so much i don't know what to say about that so i'm going to deflect by asking the next question what are you currently watching (laughs) (laughs) any streaming shows you're in the middle of oh wandavision oh yeah we're doing wandavision right now uh which is great and we just finished, uh, we watched the documentary on Britney Spears. And then I've watched the last things that I just binged was the documentary on Nexium. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. That's what we were talking about in the Discord as well. Nexium. Yeah. Uh, we as a group definitely owe you another cult episode because we didn't we didn't even scratch the surface yes. of any specifics. We were just like, what is No, it? you what didn't. And I was they? so excited about it. We'll get back to it, I promise, because that's all Josh is talking about in our texting uh, group. Let's talk about the toxic theology. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Ravel is coming back to cults. Courtney, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, this was delightful. Like we've we've spoken through text over an Instagram message or two and over Discord, but it was so nice to hear your voice and get to know you. Yeah, I'm glad that I actually got to talk to you. Like I said, I mean, listening to both of your podcasts, I feel like I know you. And so it's like one-sided because i know like everything about your life and you only know me from the few text messages i've sent you so (laughs) i'm glad we got to do this it was a delight for me thank you so much would you close us out by reading our favorite quote for the podcast the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well 
Thank you for joining us. You can follow the Hennings on Instagram and Twitter at Stephen G. Henning and at Dixie Lee Henning. Our theme music is composed and performed by Stephen and Dixie Henning and was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Austin Smith. Our artwork is designed by Dixie Lee Henning. Find more of her work at DixieLeeDraws.com, at DixieLeeDraws on both Instagram and TikTok, and at DrawsDixie on Twitter. 